You're listening to episode 13 of the We Get the Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll talk all about running terminology. Welcome to the We Get the Runs podcast. We're your hosts, Letty and Angela, and we invite you to join us as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make running a favorite part of your life. Hey, runners. Welcome to episode 13. 13 already? Yeah. Can't imagine. <laughs> Where's Where did that I'm going. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Letty? I'm doing great. How was your run this week or your runs? Runs pretty good. Um, last weekend, actually, I had some interesting runs. I was in Georgia visiting some family and friends, and I was running hills. Oh, man. <laughs> so that was a nice change from being in Florida, but I've never run hills like that. What kind of hills were <laughs> I, they? I do have to say. So I'm from New Jersey, and if, if you ran like a hilly area, the hills would be, you know, like a big ascend, like a, or more so a gradual ascend and descend, like, you know, kind of longer smoother hills where I was it was literally just like you're either uphill or straight downhill uphill or straight downhill and there was a lot of elevation oh wow so so it was pretty cool the first day I ran it I was like not very prepared for it so I just took it slow and I was very hesitant on the downhill because they were steep downhills really yeah they were no joke (laughs) and then the second day I fully embraced it and went out for my hard run on Sunday and I thoroughly enjoyed it it was a lot of fun I think I was doing like six minute pace downhills man how steep were those hills that's crazy they were they were pretty steep but it was fun it was a nice change nice change of pace I can see that. I can see that being super interesting. Yeah, but after I was, this. <laughs> yeah, and I was super sore. My quads were very sore after. Was it hot up there too? It was cooler than here, of course. So What about humidity? It was nice. And dew yeah, points. Humid. I don't know about the dew point. But it was it was a little humid, but it definitely felt better. Totally different. Like it felt like it was like 70, 71, 72. Oh, that that sounds so nice, right? Yeah, now. right. <laughs> it's like small fest. Yeah, <laughs> sweat fest every day all the way through September, but Seriously. then it'll cool down. You'll yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, it'll I'm get excited. better. But how are your runs? Doing great. Um, my plantar fasciitis seems to have um, gone away. I don't want to say it too loud because mm-hmm. whatever it comes back, but it's feeling really good. Really? Yes. So you know, exercises and little things here and there feel like they helped. That's so cool. So able to do like hard runs now or just running consistent? I've been running consistently trying to get my mileage up slowly. Mm-hmm. I don't think I will be doing any super hard runs. Um, I also ended up signing up for the virtual Boston. Oh, you did? Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like my old way. So you didn't know me then, but I used to just <laughs> run marathons with two days notice. No. At some point I would have not run for six months and I would just do them for fun to finish and it feels like you know this Boston virtual is going to be more on the lines of that just because I just want to do it and finish it and enjoy it but mm-hmm. not trying to reach any kind of goal pace or anything like that wow. I'll be probably around four hours okay she says that so modestly <laughs> no I mean that's how it used to be when I didn't train so yeah 
We will see how it goes. See how it goes. That's awesome. So for our listeners, uh, don't do as she does. <laughs> don't do as I do. That's right. <laughs> I know what my body can handle, and I know, um, you know, if it hurts, I'll slow down. If my if my plantar fasciitis hurts, I'll slow down. Mm-hmm. I'll finish it, but, you know, just trying to have fun with it and kind of excited about it because um, according to the email that you get when you sign up, you get a package from Amazon that contains a race bib and it has the medal and a shirt and, and a bunch of other stuff in a virtual expo. So I think we'll have to do a recap. Oh, fun. Right? Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah. I look forward to that. It'll be fun. Very cool. So let's move on to the listener of, um, or our highlighted listener from uh, our reviews from Apple. All right. So this week we have... Rye Buffett, and he says, great podcast. I listen to this podcast every week. Great topics, interesting interviews, and the hosts are fun. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. And make sure any other listeners, if you would like to leave us a review, please do, and we will highlight you. Perfect. And then um, now we're going to call Brody, our physiotherapist in Australia, with another listener question. Hi, Brody. Thank you and welcome back to our podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Letty. How are you? I'm doing great. So let me see. We have a few questions for you from some of our listeners. And the next one that I have for you comes from Angela Sanders-Jones. Angela says, I broke my foot. It's an avulsion fracture of my navicular bone on April 23rd. I came out of my boot in June, on June 6th. Ortho said the fracture is completely healed, but I'm still getting pain towards the top of my foot when I walk or run and when I rotate it inwards or outwards. It's not excruciating pain, but definitely painful. And if I'm on my foot for an extended period of time, I limp. I was not giving any physical therapy. Do you have any suggestions of what I should do? I feel like I should be pain-free by now. Okay. Um, sorry that's happened to you, Angela. Um, it's always tough having a foot fracture, especially if you're a runner. Um, so a couple of things. My first thing is when someone's put into a boot, usually with if they have a fracture, um, they're usually in it for you know four to six weeks. And it seems like with that time frame, she would have been in the boot maybe five or six weeks. Not only that is essentially trying to like encase the area so it doesn't move so that the fracture site can heal. That's um, that's good management in most cases. But what also happens is when you are encased in a boot is a lot of things get very weak and get um, very stiff, very sore, and there's a lot of degeneration. Atrophy is what we call it. It's like the muscles get smaller because they're not being used. And it is extremely surprising how quick the muscles can atrophy uh, if even if it's just one week or two weeks of not using it at all, um, they waste away very quickly. And so that's where physical therapy comes in and where it's so important with this sort of rehab. And it seems like her ortho or her medical team have not really suggested physical therapy. Um, if she's still presenting with pain and within the question, I think it's said that the ortho said it's all healed. So I'm assuming they've maybe done a re-X-ray or a CT scan of sorts, and they've shown that the bone has healed. Um, That's fine, but the scans won't show any like atrophy or degeneration of any of the tendons or muscles. And if there's ongoing symptoms because of the 
um, being encased in the boot, my initial inkling would be that there's actually a lot of weakness around the foot and there's um, rehab that needs to be done, some strength work that needs to be done, especially if she's saying she's spending more time on her feet walking around and then it develops into a limp. Usually that's because the structures around the foot or the bones or the ligaments are not strong enough to tolerate walking around for extended periods of time. So my advice would be definitely to seek a physical therapist and uh, have a, a routine like assessment to see where there's any deficits in muscle strength and start addressing that. It's great. And uh, from your experience, what type of exercises would that include? It would, if we were to have a look at her calf, like usually when you're in a boot, you're not, um, you're not using your calf muscles too much because it's just too rigid and you're not pushing off like you, you normally would. So the calf, the size of the calf actually gets smaller. You can see it from right to left. And uh, if that is the case with Angela, my suggestions would be definitely to start some calf exercises and maybe do some exercises to work the shin. But because it's a foot fracture as well, in my experience, it's, it usually starts with um, some foot intrinsic muscles and trying to build up the strength of the intrinsic muscles. So um, some exercises I tend to go for are like toe scrunching. So you've got a towel on the ground and you're trying to pick up the towel with your toes and then drop it onto the ground, pick it up, drop it, pick it up, drop it, and just do that over an extended period of time. Uh, and the other fun one, which most people like to try, is what I call toe yoga. And if you were to place your foot on the ground and try and just raise your big toe while keeping all the other toes down on the ground and then do the opposite. So you put that big toe back down and all the other four remaining toes go up into the air, keeping the big toe on the ground and just cycle back and forth between that, um, that action, uh, that can be enough to stimulate enough, um, of the foot intrinsic muscles to establish some strength. And that's a real baseline, um, foundation exercise and then we'd progress from there thank you so much Brody and um, if she wants to get in touch with you how can they do that if they wanted to get some more advice from you yeah so I'm pretty active on Instagram people reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook usually um, so my Instagram handle is at Brody.sharp and you could probably find me on my Facebook group Run Smarter the Run Smarter podcast is the Facebook group and my website is breakthroughrunning.physio so if they wanted to um, reach me on any of those mediums. I'm more than happy to answer any more questions. Great. Thank you so much, Brody. You're welcome, lady. Thanks, Brody. That was awesome. It's always great to learn different things from you. All right. So let's move on to today's material. Today, we're going to talk about running terminology or running lingo. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Running lingo. Okay, so Letty, what is running lingo? It's basically a language that runners use. For example, <laughs> I could say something like, hey, Angela, when you're running your marathon, make sure to pace yourself and make sure that you do negative splits and don't hit the wall so you can PR and be cute. Nice. Yes. Okay, I get it. So for the average person, they would have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? But in running world... 
they would know what all those terms mean. Right? Because I read the sentence to you and you're like, what's wrong with that sentence? But (laughs) if you say it to your parents, maybe, they'd be like... BQ, PR, what is this wall you're talking about? What wall are you talking about? What do you mean split? Are you splitting something (laughs) while you're running? (laughs) You're not dancing, you're running, girl. (laughs) That's awesome. So let's get into some of the basics. Um, We can start with a bib. Bib people probably know because it's just that sheet that you print out. It has a number that identifies you. Most of them have um, a little chip on the back. So yeah, so that one's pretty commonplace. And the chip is what? is tracked for your pace or for your your finish time. Yes, exactly. So then we have um, Boston Qualifier BQ, which is often used to describe a marathon time that qualifies a person for an entry to the Boston Marathon, that famous marathon that we keep on talking about. Um, It's one of the few that you need actually a qualifying time for, but you can all um, look that up. We'll post that in our um, show notes so you can look up what time you need for what. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next we have a certified course. So a certified course would be re- related to the distance of that course and whether or not it's been certified. So mar- most marathons and half marathons, even 5Ks and 10Ks, will be certified by USA Track and Field, and that ensures that the distance of that race is accurately measured. So for any running performance that was accepted as a record or a national ranking. It has to be run on a USATF certified course. All right, so then we have a corral. A corral is just a sectioned area that um, at the lineup of a race that helps separate athletes into different pace groups. The faster the individual is, the more he or she will be likely in the to be in the first few corrals. And we're probably going to hear that term a lot more often. Yeah, that's right. COVID corrals. Now that races are going to be set up totally different, like usually you wouldn't hear corral unless you were at a larger race. Mm -hmm. It would be set up by like corral A, corral B, or it would be set up by color. But we're probably going to have a lot more corrals. Oh man, I hope not. (laughs) Can you imagine you end up in G and you're like starting two hours after? Right. Yeah. I mean, those corrals really matter when you're at those really big races, right? Like for Mm -hmm. you, for Boston, even New York. Chicago, all yeah. those. So then um, we also have the pace that we keep referring to, which refers to the amount of time it takes to cover a mile. So like we just said, um, for somebody who wants to run a three-hour marathon, you would say that would be 26 miles, 26.2 miles at a seven-minute pace. So that's just to give you an example. Your pace, yeah. So some people mark pace, some people don't, but I think it's important. Yeah. After that, we have your cadence. So if you've ever heard of the term cadence, it's the number of steps that a runner is taking per minute while running. And generally, you're aiming for, you're aiming, I think what the average is, like 160 to 170 per minute. But they're saying elite runners usually take up to 180. I'm usually around 180. It depends on like your, you know, your leg length. So I have shorter legs, so I'm usually taking more steps. Someone who has longer legs their cadence is a little bit lower because they're not their stride is shorter, so they're not taking as many steps. So I'm expending more energy. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. I probably will too. <laughs> we'll have to look. So I up. wonder what yours is. Yeah, I'm sure Strava will tell me. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> so then we have the famous carbo loading, 
which is the practice of increasing the percentage of carbs in your diet during days leading up to an endurance event, such as a marathon, half marathon, or even long run. So we'll go into that some other time with our expert nutritionist right here, Angela, <laughs> of whether or not this is efficient or not. Um, if you just look it up online, it does say carb loading stores glycogen in the muscles and liver so that it can be used during the race. It's most effective when done with a long taper. And then, of course, there's food choices and all that. But we'll do a whole separate podcast on that probably. Yeah, at some point. But definitely, I think carb loading is important. I think it just depends on the quality of your carbs and what strategy you're using to carb load. But we'll get into that. All right. And then GPS, of course, nowadays every runner has a GPS watch or an Apple watch because mm -hmm. Apple watches have GPS too. <laughs> and that tracks your distance um, with a fairly high degree of accuracy. And it can be helpful when running a few new routes. And it's really nice too to have GPS when you upload it onto some kind of um, app that has a map and you can kind of tell where you used to run. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, it Lydia, is. I used an Apple Watch while I was in Georgia this weekend. You did? How yeah, did that I happen? I forgot my watch. <laughs> so I had to use my friend's Apple Watch. And? I, <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> I couldn't figure it. So she had the watch connected to Strava to track it directly. Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out how to use the thing. So <laughs> what do you mean? You just click on the app. <laughs> She had to help me. So then she said it to Strava. She hit go while we're in the house. So I literally run out of the house because I want it to be, of course, as accurate as possible. <laughs> so I come in from the run. I open the door. I sprint over to her. Her roommate is like, how was it? I'm like, good. And I just run by. I'm like, shut it off. Shut it off. <laughs> you just hit stop. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and how was the accuracy or maybe you don't know because it was so hilly maybe well, that's why your pace was so great I don't <laughs> so the next day I used my phone okay. and I put my phone in my pocket and just set it to Strava and it was pretty pretty much the same I mean, Strava should always be the same no matter if you use the phone oh, or not but okay. I think what they what everybody has a lot of beef with is that the Apple Watch um, if you just use the app it comes with the health app Maybe that's not so accurate, and um, yeah, I mean, but congrats to you. Maybe you'll switch over. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I was happy to return to my watch when I got home. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but it was a cool experience. That's like a runner's nightmare to leave. And, uh, oh, I was so upset. I can see that. <laughs> I can see how that would happen. <laughs> All right. All right. Next, we have your foot strike. So how your foot hits the ground, aiming to strike the ground with the middle of your foot, using light steps that fall directly underneath your hips. More comfort, less injuries. Um, yeah. So foot strike. So I use that depending on like where my foot is landing. You know, some people land with their heel. Some people mm -hmm. land with their their midfoot. Some people land with their forefoot. I'm more of like a mid forefront runner what would you say you are same and yeah. that's good that's how you're supposed to run anyway yeah yeah that's good no I'm, I'm i barely touch um the ground with my heel actually really mm -hmm. that's so interesting no it's a good thing though because um, well you know my plantar fasciitis would probably be worse <laughs> oh wow that's imagine true. if you have that painful heel and you actually hit the ground with and it and you're landing on it probably Yikes. so many people yeah i'm sure yeah Anyhow, so the next one that we have is the wall, which refers to a point during a marathon, I would say. Like they say the wall is at mile 20 of a marathon, 
And it feels like your energy level plummets and breathing becomes labored and negative thoughts become to flood in. Huh. So it's kind of like you're literally hitting a wall. Experts say that it's, it usually happens two-thirds of the way through any race, no matter the distance. Hitting the wall often occurs because you've run out of fuel or need carbohydrates that the body can convert into fuel for the muscles. I didn't know it was mile 20. I've always heard it being mile 20 or 22. So when I ran my first marathon, I was waiting for that. And I passed mile 22 and I was so excited that <laughs> I was still alive, I guess. And none of that had happened. That's crazy. Mile, mile 20 is when I wanted to stop. Oh, well, coincidence or the wall? <laughs> I don't know. I, that year I ran Philly and it took this weird turn at mile 20 that I was like, are we ever going to finish? It was totally mental. But I didn't know that. I thought the wall was totally related to, like, your glycogen stores and just running out of that. No, it's a big mental game. It's more mental. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think running is so mental anyway. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta stay positive. <laughs> All right, what else? Splits. Okay, let's talk about the splits. So when a race's time is divided into smaller parts, typically miles, if a runner runs an entire race at the same pace, they should have an even split. If they have a negative split, they ran the second half faster than the first. So that's why everyone is always aiming to do those negative splits because it means they're progressively getting faster. So that's always the goal. Awesome. Okay, so now let's move on to running preparation. So there's the warm-up run, which is a period of walking or easy running or any light activity that is done for 10 to 20 minutes before a workout. It gradually increases your heart rate, breathing, and blood flow to the muscle. And in the same sense, we also have the cool down, which is a period of light physical activity, like walking after a longer or harder run, done to help to bring the heart rate down gradually and prevent blood from pooling in the legs. So how many runners do you think actually warm up and cool down? I do. Do you? Yes. I mean, yes and no, right? So if you're just going out for a run, to run, and you don't have a certain pace in mind, then... You kind of do it automatically because, as you probably notice, your first mile is never as fast as the other miles. It's kind of slower. And um, if I do a hard run, I do do that same thing where the first mile is kind of a garbage mile where it's just kind of a little bit slower and then pick it up. So you do a designated warm-up and designated cool-down. Well, I don't stop my watch for it. But oh, okay. the first half mile is going to be slower. Even yeah. if I pick it up and I'll just live with that. First half mile? Half mile to a mile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have types of runs. So a trail run is a run that's done on a trail. I hope we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than a treadmill, the track, or the road. Particularly enjoyable in the fall. I think it really just depends on where you live, but. And what kind of trails you're running, like if they're hilly trails or they're really scenic trails, but yeah, nice trail runs. And then we have road runs or road races, and that's essentially running on the road, which we do a lot up here. Yeah, because we don't really have many trails. Yeah, yeah. Um, Easy runs, and that's really conversational pace. And then recovery runs would be a shorter or slower run after a race even i would say a recovery run is like after a hard workout too right would you say or would you call that an easy run no i agree i'd call it recovery anything after something hard should be called recovery and then easy should just be your easy pace 
Like our coach always has me run, say, a hard Saturday, and then it's a recovery run on Sunday, and then mm-hmm. Monday he says, easy run. Gotcha. Okay. And then we have speed work. So runs all about improving your speed, think hill sprints, intervals, and tempo runs. And I would say think Angela's bonus episode on how to train. Yeah. Well, there I mostly have intervals. Okay. Different types of intervals in there, right? Well, but I would put intervals under the category of speed work. Of course, yeah. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then hill sprints, we don't have that, but in Florida, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that use bridges to run, which I thought was really funny and sad at the same time when I moved <laughs> here when I saw that. Did you did you notice that too? Yeah. Yeah, but then also remember I told you about the parking garage. You could do that too. Oh, right. That's so ridiculous. It's so sad. <laughs> it is so sad. I mean, you come from New Jersey, and I come from California, and it's probably two really good places to run. And then there's no hills here. It's kind of funny. And now I avoid bridges, too. Me, too. I don't know. I I actually, I really enjoyed the hills this weekend. I don't want to do that all the time. Do not get me wrong. But it was fun. (laughs) It was was a fun change. Nice. Yeah, and I mean, wherever you live, you'll just get used to whatever environment you have. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right, next we have the famous fartlek run. So fartlek essentially means speed play. And let's spell that for people. Okay. So F-A-R-T-L-E-K. Yes. And it is originated, it was originated in Sweden. So it's a form of a speed workout in which you run faster and then slower, however long or short you want. So I've heard it defined as like running from one one light to the next light or one sign to the next sign or one tree to the next tree. It's kind of not designated. Yeah. Right? Is that how yeah. you would define it? Yeah, just kind of almost like interval training. I mean, those definitions all kind of overlap depending on who you talk to. You're right, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. So our coach uses fart legs, but he also uses intervals. And I think he uses fart legs for the shorter ones. Oh, the shorter intervals. Yes. And then, but I don't know. <laughs> At the same time, they're intervals. I guess you just have to be on the same page with whoever you coach. Yeah. To make sure. What would you use How if you were to coach them? somebody? I would probably say interval to make it more understandable. And fart look, I would use as a more broad term, like, okay, you're going to run a 200 and then a 100 and then a 300 and then a 100 where it's like inter changing okay that's how i would use it yeah that makes sense yeah good all right and then we have junk miles and garbage miles my favorite so (laughs) that's just a term where you run at any pace or an easy pace inserted into a program in order to reach weekly or monthly mileage total rather than for any specific benefits well i guess the benefit would be to become stronger because everybody knows the more miles you run the stronger your body gets so the value of junk miles is still hotly debated among training theorists. So you just heard my opinion. What's your opinion on uh, garbage miles? Yeah, I think they're important because you're constantly improving your aerobic base. I used to not think that. And now that I've been running more and more consistently, I really think they are important. I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next, we have strides. 
So strides, or you can call them pickups, so it's typically 80 to 100 meter surges that are incorporated into a warm-up or a regular workout. They will bring your heart rate up and increase your leg turnover to get your legs ready to run. So when do you use strides? I use strides before I do sprint workouts or oh, fart yeah. legs, yeah, and then I also use them on race day. So I don't really run much on race day, maybe a half a mile, but I do do some strides just to kind of warm up. Do you use them too? That's awesome. I think that's how you should use them best. But I'll, sometimes I'll add strides at the end of a run, mm-hmm. like, uh, but I'll use, I'll use the term pickups for some reason. I don't know why. I'll use pickups at the end of a run and I'll use strides if it's before a race. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I don't know why. Making it more complicated. <laughs> Sounds about right. (laughs) All right. So the next one that we have is the taper. Runners usually cut back mileage one day to three weeks, depending on, well, depending on who your coach is before a big race. Tapering helps muscles rest so that they are ready for peak performance on race day. So, you know, the whole tapering is another one of those up for debate things. Yeah. Our coach makes us run a hard run the weekend before a marathon. No way. Yeah. And um, then we taper maybe for three days. But then before that, you know, reading about training plans online, I heard people tapering up to three weeks. Yeah, usually I see two weeks leading in, depending on the size, like the length of the race. So, you know, that's up for debates too, because there's one side that says you lose fitness when you taper that much. But, you know, we can talk about that some other time too. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. It really is. All right, so then we have the target heart rate, which is a range of heart rate reached during aerobic training, which enables an athlete to gain maximum benefits. There's such a thing also like target heart training where people try to run at a lower heart rate in order to become faster and stronger. Yeah, like they completely set their runs based on their heart rate. Which seems really slow in the beginning, but then you get used to it, and then you actually turn out pretty fast. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I know. I like to track my heart rate and compare that. Oh, yeah. You said that. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. And it's cool to see how my VO2 max is improving, and that is in turn, now my runs, I'm noticing that like an easy run, I have a lower heart rate than what I used to have. Oh. It's kind of cool. Yeah. That's cool. I'm sure there's a lot of um, stuff that plays into it. So since you've mentioned VO2 max, what is the VO2 max? Okay. So your VO2 max, also known as your aerobic capacity, this is the maximum amount of oxygen that your body can use during intense exercise. As your aerobic capacity increases, you will be able to run faster and further. So that's how that would tie to my heart rate is because my aerobic capacity is improving. So therefore, I'm my heart rate is lower at those easier runs because I'm able to do them, and, and I'm expending less energy. They're they're becoming easier for me. That makes sense. Okay, thanks for explaining that. Yeah, and if you have a Garmin, <laughs> it will tell you your VO2 max, which is pretty cool. I wonder what mine is right now. It got all the way up to like 52 or no 54. I don't remember. Wait, I think I saw that on my Apple Watch somewhere, too. Oh, yeah? It has it? Well, I mean, I use the iSmooth Run app, and I keep mentioning this app, and we're not sponsored by them, but we should get (laughs) sponsored by them. But it's an awesome app for Apple Watch users that has a lot of information on there. Um, 
And I'm pretty sure it has that on there. I just never paid attention to oh, it. Oh, check it out. We should do it, uh, an Instagram post with our, our VO2 Maxes. I'm scared to know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yours is great. All right, next we're going to talk about tempo and threshold runs. So a tempo run is when runners talk about what it usually means a pace that is sustained faster than their usual run of three to six miles at the pace they can sustain for an hour in a race. So yeah, so with a tempo run, it's usually a hard pace that's sustainable for an hour. Okay. If that makes sense. So it's not like a hard run where you go for a certain mileage that's hard. Yeah, well, it could be. But it's basically, you want to keep in mind, it's a pace that you will be able to sustain for an entire hour. It's not your 5K pace. It's not your half marathon pace. It's somewhere in between. Something that you can sustain for that hour. Okay. Is it always an hour? Is that the... That's just kind of like that that point that you want you want to be challenged that entire hour. So it's something where you're you're breathing heavy that entire hour. Okay. Not heavy, heavy, but... <laughs> I can show you heavy. <laughs> not 5K heavy. Not my right. face heavy. <laughs> nice. And then a threshold run is shorter. So it's runs of 5 to 20 minutes at a pace just a little slower than your 10K running pace or racing pace. So it's roughly equivalent to what exercise physiologists will call your lactate threshold. So that's another good term. So lactate threshold is the point at which your muscles start fatiguing at a rapid rate. Running at or near lactate threshold is believed to raise your lactate threshold, which should allow you to run faster in the future and thus improve your VO2 max. All these fun running terms. Nicely tied them all (laughs) up together. Good job, Angela. Thanks. All right. So now we're going to talk about recovery runs and rest days and overtraining. So recovery runs are easy jogging between fast-paced segments. So basically, if you have a hard, long run on the weekend, then the next day you would do an easy jogging run where you don't really care that much about your pace. And then rest days, of course, are also your days off. And um, Rest days. What is that? Right. We don't get rest days in our training. <laughs> Wait, today was supposed to be a rest day. But you ran on the treadmill. <laughs> I went into the gym to go do the elliptical for my rest day. And I said, well, I could, I could do like one mile on the treadmill, which turned into two miles. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, God. So we don't do rest days. Um, we basically do run six to seven days a week. Yeah. Unless, I mean, I, I won't, I'll only try and take a rest day if something's going on. Yeah, and I usually use the excuse on Monday mornings where I just don't want to get up that, you know, I should be doing a rest day anyway. But, you know, yeah. it's however you choose to do it. And then overtraining is, well, it's what happens when you skip out on rest days. There's yeah. such a thing as running too much. Better to sit one out and avoid potential injuries and painful muscle strains. And even mental, like mentally. Yeah, mental exhaustion because um, if you don't get injured, then maybe you'll just get tired of running. You so, lose your ambition. You lose your motivation. Exactly. And then we have um, cross-training as the next term. Cross-training runners will usually include other types of workouts in their routines to improve overall fitness. This is called cross-training, tri-yoga, strength training, and cycling. And hopefully in the next few episodes, we'll have a friend of mine talking to us about cross-training and give us some exercises, what would be good for runners to do if um, you don't join a gym or if you don't want to go to a gym right now, what kind of exercises would be great. Very cool. I'm looking forward to that. 
Okay, for the next words, we're going to tap into the running distances. A track is 400 meters long and four laps make 1600 meters, which is approximately equivalent to one mile. So a quarter mile is one lap, etc. You can do the math. Okay, and then we have the 5K, 10K, 15K. So these are different distances. 5K is 3.1, so then of course 10K, 6.2, 15K, 9.3 miles. Then from there we have the half marathon and the marathon. So it's important for, you know, some people and non-runners to know that <laughs> when they say that someone ran a marathon, a marathon is 26.2 miles. Exactly. So, right? If someone ran a 5K, this is not equivalent to a marathon. <laughs> what kind of marathon are you running? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one kind of marathon. Right. And it's 26.2 miles. <laughs> So then, of course, half marathon is half of that. And then from there, we have a 50K. So 50K is 31.1 miles. So that's ultra marathon distance. Anything beyond 26.2 is an ultra. All right, next we have some acronyms. So BPM, beats per minute. BQ, Boston qualifier. CD is your cool down. Or sometimes people will do WD, warm down which I don't really get, but... <laughs> oh, because of warm-up. Yeah, or what comes warm up, up must and come down. down. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> After that, we have DFL. Oh, dead freaking last. I don't hear that too often, but it is funny. I hear it with another word instead of freaking. Oh, I see. <laughs> After that, we have DNF. So that's a pretty big one. Did not finish. Nobody wants that, but it does happen. D-O-M-S, delayed onset muscle soreness. So that's usually the soreness you'll feel after a race or an event or lifting. Then we have PB and PR, pretty much the same. PB is a personal best and PR is a personal record. I use PR. I do too. use, yeah? Yeah, same. I hadn't heard PB, but I don't know. It makes me think of peanut butter. <laughs> that's kind of funny. <laughs> And then we have WR, world record, and WU, warm up. All right. And then WD. Well, let's also mention, so these, where you would see them is usually in a training plan. Oh, that's right. right? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. where you would see them is like if you're, if you're purchasing a training plan or something like that, is that's when you'll see those acronyms. That's right. Yeah. And we can um, link this whole list in our show notes so you guys have something to... Um, Study. It's like yeah. learning a foreign language in a way. <laughs> Run, the running world. Right. All right. So then we have some physio words. We have uh, rice, which refers to rest, ice, compression, and elevation. From there, we have chafing. So if ever, anyone has ever experienced chafing, but that's the rubbing of your skin next to one another. So usually that's between the thighs is most common where you'll get chafing. Yeah. I've seen some brutal pictures online, though, of people getting that, men getting that on their nipples. Like, they get oh, the bloody nipples. Yeah. And um, when people wear those, or used to wear iPods, they would wear that band oh, around man. their arm and then they would get chafing there. That sounds terrible. It does, right? Or a sports bra. I've worn an uncomfortable sports yeah. bra. So on my rib cage, I had chafing before. Yeah. And that's just painful when you shower. That is painful. Yikes. Next, we have shin splints. Have you ever had shin splints? No. You're lucky. <laughs> Are you having them right now? <laughs> I, I, I've had a little bit of them. 
in the, these past few months. Nothing terrible, but shin splints can hurt. So shin splints are essentially pain on or around your shin bones, and it is usually treated with ice and rest. But there's different theories on that. But for the most part, it's ice and rest. Mm -hmm. And I would say stretching. Nice. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, it'd be cool to have some kind of solution or some kind of exercise to have it help with that. Yeah, you should talk about talk to Brody about shin splints. Yes, we should. <laughs> <laughs> From there, we have runner's knee. So runner's knee is usually pain in your knee due to running. Um, this is pain isolated on or around the kneecap, also called patellofemoral pain syndrome. And we last one we have is the runner's high. You want to talk about the runner's high? Have you ever experienced it? Of course. That's why I run, right? <laughs> it's the feeling of euphoria a runner might get during or after a run. Added bonus, there's usually a decrease in com discomfort too. I think we all get the runner's high because we race and then we're done with racing and well, on, during mile 25, we said, I'm never going to do this again. After mile 26, you're like, ooh, sign me up for the next one. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm same thing even with 5Ks. 5Ks, I'm dying. Literally <laughs> dying. And then as soon as it's over and I cross the finish line, I'm like, okay, when's the next one? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm not that extreme. I'm not a big fan of 5Ks. I know. They're fun. but So you're talking from the marathon perspective. Yes, yes. Definitely long runs can do that, even if they don't work out the way you want them to. Just, you know, the fact that you did that during one day, you, you ran a lot of miles. It's some kind of feeling of accomplishment. And yeah. You take that home and kind of have that runner's glow for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. All right, that is about it. Runners, hopefully you enjoyed listening to all the different running terminology, and now you are in the running circle. You officially know the running lingo, <laughs> so you can show it off at your next race. Hopefully you have a race going on. So thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check us out on social media. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you can, and make sure to check out next week's podcast. Thanks, and have a great week of running. Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, we hope that we were able to provide you with something of value. Make sure you like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Our account you can find under WGTR Podcast. Thanks. Until next time, have a great week of running.